Welcome to the Christ Walk Podcast. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Enjoy the message. For such a terrible subject, that's an awful catchy song, I think. <laughs> I've had it stuck in my head for about a month now, and I just keep singing it overnight. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, it's not. Uh, if you got your Bibles, uh, you got a smart device, I want to encourage you to turn with me or swipe with me. Uh, today, we're going to be in the Old Testament. Um, the Bible's divided up into these two big sections. You got the Old Testament up front, then the New Testament towards the back of the book. And so we're going to be in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel. The original book of Samuel was just one really big book. Uh, but when they put it in the canon of Scripture, they decided this is way too long. We're going to split it up. And so you've got 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And those books tell the story of Samuel. And then also King Saul and King David and some others. And so we're going to be in second, the second installment of Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 15. And we're going to start with verse 1 in just a minute. But before we jump into today's message, I would be remiss to, uh, to, to move on about our day without recognizing the terrible tragedies that have taken place the past 24 hours in our country. Um, uh, yesterday... Um, uh, there was a, a mass shooting at a Walmart in El Paso, Texas. Um, 20 people or so killed and uh, a couple dozen plus more injured. And then um, also, maybe, maybe you're not even aware of this yet, early this morning, um, about 1 a.m., and so most of us were, uh, were asleep or were going to sleep. And then um, news reports didn't come out until uh, you know, th- this morning, but there was a, a shooting as well in Dayton, Ohio, um, I read right before the first service, there was already nine confirmed killed and another couple dozen as well that were injured and everything. And, and here's, here's what I know. Um, I, I don't think that it's ironic or a coincidence that we're starting a series called Worst Day Ever because there's some people that are seeing that recognized in their lives today. Number two, I also don't think it's a coincidence that we're getting ready to step in to a season of dedicated prayer and fasting because here's what I know to be true. Democrats and Republicans and gun control and regardless of where we stand on any of that, that is not our source of hope. Our source of hope is Jesus Christ. And it is time for the church to take a stand and quit sitting back in the shadows and for us to come and, and, and pray and fast and seek the Lord's face to, to do something in our land, to bring forth a spiritual awakening in our country and bring healing to the United States of America. And that is one of the things that I'm, I'm believing for. Uh, as, we, as we enter into this season of, of prayer and fasting. And so I wanna invite, I wanna encourage you guys to be a part of that with us, um, drawing close to God, leaning into what he has for us. And all the information that you will need to be a part of that is available at thechristwalk.com slash pray. So I hope that you'll check that out. And then we'll be revealing more um, over the course of the next several days uh, in, on our social media channels. We'll also be sending out some emails um, and all, all, of, all of those things to answer uh, any questions that you may have about how you get involved. So I hope that you'll do that. And then let's remember these, these cities of El Paso and, and Dayton, Ohio. As a matter of fact, a, a friend of mine who's a pastor, his church is about 10 minutes from where this shooting took place in Dayton, Ohio. And so he's 
He's there with a congregation this morning, you know, trying to love on people and point them to the hope of, of Jesus Christ in the midst of their worst day ever. And that's, that's what we're going to talk about together for the next several weeks and what we're going to lean into during this season of prayer and fasting. So I hope that, that you guys will join in us, join, join in that with us and that um, you'll be praying for our nation along with the other uh, prayer, prayer topics as well. So um, with that said, you've got your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 15, we'll get there in just a minute, but it was 1993, I believe, and I was the ripe old age of 12, and a company known as Anything, like a man's name, N-E initials, Anything Enterprises, came out with this book, and, and it was actually the first of a series of books that was called Magic Eye, A New Way of Looking at the World. And this book and the ones that followed it in the series are comprised of a number of pieces of artwork that the scientific term for them is a stereogram. And in case you have no idea what I'm talking about, let me give you an example of what that looks like. This is a stereogram. And, and, and do not be deceived. To the untrained eye, this just looks like a bunch of digital noise and just a bunch of nonsense up on the screen. But upon further examination, as you allow your eyesight to focus properly, you can see that this is actually an image of one of my greatest fears. It's a shark. And so, believe it or not, there's actually a shark that is in, contained in this image. And in fact, right down here in this portion of the screen here um, is actually his left pectoral fin. And he's swimming up um, to the top left corner of the screen. And it's like you're looking at him from underneath and his mouth is open. And when you, when you see it, like you, you, can, you can just get to a certain place and you can see it. And it's actually... A an image of a shark. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking right now, but let me assure you, I haven't gone insane. And I'm also not trying to, you know, pull a fast one on you and convince you that something is there that, that really isn't. I'm not trying to mislead you in any way. And in fact, after service today, I'm going to post this image on our Instagram and our Facebook so that you guys can see it. So if you follow the church um, on Instagram or Facebook, you'll be able to have it and, and see if you can see the image of the shark that is actually there. But in order for you to be able to see it, it requires a shift in your perspective. And today we're kicking off a brand new series that we're calling Worst Day Ever. And no doubt every single person that's in this room within earshot of my voice, you've had a bad day at some point or another. And for some of us, those bad days turn into bad weeks and bad months and bad years and just bad seasons. And sometimes these can be started off with something as simple as just sleeping through your alarm or, or burning your eggs at breakfast or spilling your coffee on your lap on the way to work. But other times it's something more serious like getting fired from a job or the doctor telling you you have some sort of disease or even learning that a close friend or a loved one has passed away. And whether it's a simple annoyance 
an aggravation, or if it's a full-blown tragedy that is taking place in our life, at some point, you and I, we are going to encounter bad days or bad seasons in this life. Jesus himself warned us about this in the Gospel of John in chapter 16. Jesus said, I told you these things so that you can have peace in me. In this world, you will have trouble. Notice he didn't say you might have trouble, you may have trouble. He says you will have trouble. So mark it down, take it to the bank. It's going to happen in this world. You will have trouble, but be brave, Jesus says. I have defeated the world. And so today, before we get into our passage and and start to look at the story that we're going to look at over the next several weeks, I think it's important that I first clarify a a, a point that, that we all need to understand going into this. Just because something bad is happening to you doesn't mean that you are bad. See, it can be really easy for us to fall into the trap of, of thinking to, to, to take on the mentality that God punishes bad people with bad things so that they'll stop being bad, so they won't be bad anymore. But let me reassure you that just because you woke up on school picture day with a big zit on your forehead or because you had a flat tire this morning doesn't mean that there's some sort of unrepented sin in your life. No, the the truth is is that that bad things happen to both good people and bad people. And and there's certainly times when God will take a negative situation in our life and use it to get our attention to point us in a different direction. But we need to know and we need to understand that there's a difference between discipline and revenge. There's a difference between discipline and revenge. It's like I have two kids. And sometimes they do things that that I don't like. They make poor decisions and everything, but I never exact revenge on my children. I I never do things to them because of the things that they have done, but sometimes I will discipline them so that they can be redirected toward the future that I have for them. And it's the same way with God. The God that we serve, he is a good and loving father. He doesn't punish us with bad things because he's mad at us for anything that we've done. But sometimes he will discipline us when we are disobedient to him in order to redirect us towards his desired future for us. And the Bible describes this character, David, who is the central figure of the story we're going to be looking at over the course of this series as a man after God's own heart. That's what the Bible says about him, that David is a man after God's own heart. He was known as the greatest king in all of Israel. And he even wrote the majority of the book of Psalms that's found in the Old Testament of the Bible. But despite all of that, despite being a man after God's own heart, despite being the greatest king in the history of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, despite being a biblical author, David still had bad days. He still experienced family drama, loads of it, in fact. There was still difficulty at work for David. He still had health issues that he dealt with. He still experienced tragedy, and he dealt with pain on a regular basis because it's just a part of life. In this fallen world in which we live, 
because of the sin that was committed in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and passed down generationally to us, to you and to me, tragedy, pain, bad days are just a part of life. But the good news is that we've got Jesus. Whenever those bad days arise, we have Jesus. My, my friend and, and pastor in, uh, from Louisville, Kentucky, his name's Jason Isaacs, he said this. He says, following Jesus doesn't mean that we won't have bad days, but it does mean that we have him when we go through bad days. See, it's important that none of us are choosing to follow Jesus because we believe him to be some sort of bubble that insulates us from all of life's troubles. Jesus doesn't, doesn't create life troubles, nor does he take all of them away. But whenever we experience them, we know that Jesus is our hope in the midst of them. And in fact, I believe that some of our worst moments can be God's best moments. And that's what this series is all about. So over the next four weeks, we're, we're gonna be taking a look at a story from David's life in the, in the hopes of, of learning some of the truths from that story so that, that he experienced so that we can apply those things to our own life in regard of handling life's toughest moments. And all of that begins with a shift in our perspective. So with that said, let's, let's open up our Bibles and let's jump into 2 Samuel chapter 15 together. We're gonna start in verse one. Before we do, let me, let me just set it up. What's going on here? David is the king of Israel and everything is going fine up until one day his son, Absalom, who you can read about if you wanna go back in, the, in the, the chapters that precede chapter 15 because we're picking up in the middle of a story. Absalom, he's a terrible person, okay? And you can read all about it in the chapters leading up to this. His son Absalom decides he's gonna initiate a coup d'etat. He's gonna kill his father and he's gonna take over the throne as the new king of Israel. And you thought that spilling your coffee or having a flat tire this morning was was bad. Imagine finding out that your kid wanted to kill you. Talk about a bad day. That's where we're at with David here in this passage. Starting in verse 1, 2 Samuel chapter 15. After this, Absalom got a chariot and horses for himself and 50 men to run before him. Absalom would get up early and he would stand near the city gate. And anyone who had a problem for the king to settle would come here. And when someone came, Absalom would call out and say, what city are you from? And the person would answer, I'm from one of the tribes of Israel. And then Absalom would say, look, your claims are right, but the king has no one to listen to you. Verse four, Absalom would also say, I wish someone would make me judge in this land. Then people with problems could come to me and I could help them get justice. People would come near to Absalom to bow to him, and when they did, Absalom would reach out his hand and take hold of them and kiss him. And Absalom did, all, did that to all the Israelites who came to King David for decisions. And in this way, Absalom stole the hearts of all Israel. Verse seven. After four years... 
This took place for four years. After four years, Absalom said to King David, please let me go to Hebron. I want to carry out my promise that I made to the Lord while I was living in Geshur in Aram. I said, if the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship him in Hebron. And so the king said, go in peace. So Absalom went to Hebron, verse 10. But he sent secret messengers through all the tribes of Israel. They told the people, when you hear the trumpets, say this, Absalom is the king at Hebron. Absalom had invited 200 men to go with him. So they went from Jerusalem with him, but they didn't know what he was planning. And while Absalom was offering sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, one of the people who advised David to come from his hometown of Gilo. So Absalom's plans were working very well. More and more people began to support him. Verse 13, a messenger came to David saying, the Israelites are giving their loyalty to Absalom. The Israelites are giving their loyalty to Absalom. In a matter of seconds, David's life gets completely turned upside down based on one small piece of information. Absalom's son, David's son, rather, Absalom, has decided to make a play for his throne. And if David doesn't get out of town quickly, he is going to be killed. Truly was David's worst day ever. And isn't it crazy how one little incident, one little piece of information can mess up our whole day and throw everything out of whack? It's one phone call, one email, one pop quiz, one text message, one quick meeting where your boss says, Hey, can you come into my office for just a second? I recently found myself in a situation like this. I was here at the office and I got a phone call from my wife. And as soon as I answered, I knew that something was wrong. Sarah didn't greet me with the normal greeting she would have given me when she called. She would usually text me rather than call me. So I found that interesting to begin with. And, and when I did answer, I could tell that, that there was a different tone in her voice. She was a bit out of breath and she just said, it's Avery. And I thought, oh no, something's happened. She said, apparently she was skateboarding in the neighborhood and she fell off the skateboard and um, some of the neighbors went to her and everything. And so I'm on my way to the emergency room with her because we think that she may have a broken arm. And so I immediately grabbed all my stuff, jumped up from my desk, got in the car and headed to the ER to be with my daughter. Now, you need to know that there was never a point where I, I, I hung up the phone with Sarah and thought, you know, I guess I could just stay here and keep working. Or like, maybe I'm gonna go down to McDonald's and grab a burger or whatever. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know. Like there was never like, it just instinct kicked in. Adrenaline took over and I just did what needed to be done because I knew that daddy's little princess was hurt and I needed to get to the emergency room to be with Avery. I never had to think of it. I never had to think about what I was going to do. I never put a plan of action into place. It was just when this happened, being with my daughter, it became the most important thing in that moment. And everything else that was important 30 seconds before faded into the background and I just had to get to where my daughter was. 
And it's the same thing with our heavenly father. David writes about this in in Psalm chapter 34. He says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Here's what I know. At some point in this life, there's going to come a day where something is going to happen to you or to me and our spirits are going to be crushed. And when this does happen, you need to know that the Lord is not frustrated with you. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed in you. In reality, he's just giving you an opportunity to draw close to him in the middle of your brokenness. He just wants to be with you to comfort you. One of the gifts that God gives us in the middle of a crisis whenever we are sad or whenever something is broken is the ability to feel his presence close to us. When things like this happen, he rushes to the scene and he's just like a father who holds his child in his arms after she's broken her arm. He'll hold you until all the pain has subsided, until all the tears have dried up. Sometimes our worst days can serve as great opportunities to just draw close and snuggle up with our heavenly father and let him love on us. So if you're experiencing a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, a bad year, just know God has not forgotten you. He sees you and he is drawing close to you so that you can feel his presence. Amen? Now, let's let's jump back into our passage today because now that we've laid the, the foundation, we've laid the groundwork, I wanna look at two specific verses in the passage that we read. And I wanna focus on some key words or phrases there. We're gonna spend the rest of our time looking at those for today. Verses 11 and 13, verse 11 and 13. So we'll start with verse 11. Absalom had invited 200 men to go with him. How many men? 200, all right. So they went from Jerusalem with him, all 200 of them, going from Jerusalem to Hebron, Here's what the Bible says. It's important to catch this. But they didn't know what he was planning. They didn't know anything about the coup d'etat. They didn't know anything about the lies. They didn't know anything about his plan to kill David. 200 men go with him, but they don't know what's going on. Verse 13, two verses later, a messenger came to David saying, the Israelites, as in all of them, Like the whole nation, the whole country, the Israelites are giving their loyalty to Absalom. All right, so so let's review what takes place in in just these, these, these two verses with one verse apart from each other. 200 men who had no clue what was going on were in the company of Absalom. And by the time that the news reaches David, one verse later, the whole country has shifted their allegiance from him as king and given it to Absalom. And when we read this passage, it's, it's easy to just kind of skip over that and, and just move right past it and just, just take it for what it is and everything. But if, if we're careful and if we'll, we'll sit and we'll sift through what, what the Lord is really trying to tell us and we'll look at the details of the story, there's an important truth here for us to mine out and remember. And I think it's gonna help somebody this morning. I know that it's helped me and it's simply this. If you're taking notes, maybe write this down. Bad news is rarely as bad as we believe it is. 
Bad news is rarely as bad as we believe it is. And so the, the messenger comes to David and says, the Israelites are giving their loyalty to Absalom. And, and, and here, here's, here's what I believe to be true, that, that regardless of what that messenger said, I believe that David probably heard something like this. They said that everybody is now loyal to Absalom. They said that everybody is now loyal to Absalom. And we, we see David, we see his reaction to this news in Psalm chapter three. He writes about it, verses one and two. He says, Lord, I have many enemies. Many people have turned against me. Many are saying about me, God won't rescue him. It's just 200 dudes that didn't know what was going on. But they said that everybody was in favor of Absalom. And it's they and it's everybody that have been striking fear in the hearts of men since the dawn of time. Yet I've discovered that when somebody says everybody, they really just mean two or three people. And when somebody says they, they really mean I, but for some reason they feel like they is more important and carries more weight than I ever could. And why is it that we care so much about what they and everybody say and think anyways? Why is it that when they and everybody get into the mix, we automatically jump to the worst case scenario possible? It happened to me. Sarah was on her way to the hospital, on her way to the emergency room with Avery. And somebody else from the neighborhood called my phone. And so I was asking them questions. I was like, did you see it happen? You know, what, what happened? And they were like, I don't know. I didn't see anything. I saw Avery briefly. Her, her arm was covered up with a towel. And I talked to some neighbors and they said they saw it happen. And they said they were the first people to Avery. And they said that it looked pretty bad. And they said that they covered her arm with a towel. And they said that they told her not to look at it. And so I hang up the phone and I'm like, great, this is what's coming to me, you know, to the emergency room. And so my head starts spinning and I'm picturing my daughter in the car with my wife covered from head to toe in blood. And I'm picturing her arm with like her ulna, you know, like at jagged, like hanging out of her arm and, and like her hand is just hanging on by like just a thread of flesh. And, you know, she's screaming and crying and I'm thinking, oh gosh, are they going to have to do surgery? What if they have to amputate her hand? <laughs> and then I'm thinking like, you know, all the way back to like the early 80s in Star Wars and Luke Skywalker, he had his hand cut off with a lightsaber, but they gave him a robot hand and put it back on there. Like that was just fiction back then, but like now they can totally do that. And I'm like, that's what we'll do. We'll get her a robot hand. But then I was like, but I can never afford a robot hand on a pastor's salary. And so I'm Googling, I'm like, I'm starting a GoFundMe. I'm scrolling through my pictures in, in my phone, trying to find a really sad, pitiful picture of Avery so I can send it out to the world on social media and help this girl get a robot hand. And then I had a great idea. I've got two kidneys, but I can live with just one of them. So I Google like black market kidney sales. 
because I got to fund this robot hand for my daughter. And trust me, black market kidney sales is not something you want in your Google search history. Okay, so we'll just put that out there right now. And so I'm freaking out, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And kidney surgery is going to really hurt. And Avery's going to look weird in a prom dress with a robot arm. But I guarantee, you know, greasy little boys will mess with her. So, you know, silver linings, right? And then she rolls up to the emergency room. Sarah's got her in the car. I open the door. And you know what I discovered? None of those things were true. She wasn't covered in blood. Her, arm, her hand wasn't hanging on, you know, by a thread of flesh or anything. The bone wasn't sticking out. It was just a little break on the inside of her arm. And in not too much time, guess what? She was fine. Good as new. But that's how our enemy, the devil, operates. The Bible tells us in, in the New Testament in Peter that he's like a roaring lion. And roaring lions incite fear. But you know what roars don't have? They don't have teeth. They don't have claws. And though the roar might be scary, it can't do anything to harm us. But even still, it's the roars of our enemy that cause us to shift our focus from the facts of the situation to our worst fears. See, every bad day usually involves some sort of bad news. But bad news is rarely as bad as we believe it to be. And whenever we get bad news, we, we immediately jump to a worst case scenario. What, what that means is that we're, we're, we're believing in our fears and the roars of the enemy rather than looking at the facts. We hear the facts, but we believe the fears. The doctor says it's cancer, that's a fact. But fear says, you're gonna die. We hear our child is being suspended from school. That is a fact. But yet we believe that we're the worst parent ever. That's a fear. We hear the bank say that our mortgage is past due. That is a fact. But yet we believe that we're always gonna be broke. We're never gonna have any money. They're gonna put our house in foreclosure. It's gonna be taken from us. That is just a fear. We hear that our daughter has fallen off a skateboard and possibly broken her arm. That's a fact. But we believe that we're gonna have to sell a kidney on the black market to get her a Luke Skywalker cyborg arm. That's just a fear. See, David, in this situation and in the heat of the moment, he had given in to his worst fear, that his son was going to take away his throne and have him killed. But how quickly David had forgotten who had given him that throne in the first place. See, he had begun to believe in his fears rather than exercise his faith. And now watch this. Not only does faith overcome fear, but it also overcomes the facts. So what you and I need to know today is that God's bigger than the facts of our situation. 
God's more powerful than the facts of whatever it is that you're facing today. God's not concerned with the facts. He doesn't care that the doctor said it was cancer. He's not concerned with that. He's bigger than that. He's, he's not concerned with foreclosure. He's bigger than that. He's not concerned with a flat tire, spilled coffee or broken arm or whatever. He's not worried about the details of the facts. He's so much bigger than that. And he, he overcomes the facts. He transcends the facts. If we would just lean in in faith. And, and Paul wrote about this in, in his letter to the church in Rome in chapter eight of, of the book of Romans in the New Testament. Verse 31, Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? These things are the, the stuff, the, the junk, the mess, the adversity, the, the worst day ever things that you and I have facing us today. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And I think there just might be somebody here today wondering, Who is that God? Well, let me tell you. In the middle of our loneliness, he is Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. In the middle of our lack, he is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. In the middle of our worry, he is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is our peace. In the middle of our wandering, he is Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord, my shepherd. In the middle of our struggle, he is Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is victorious. In the middle of our sickness, he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. In the middle of our temptation, he is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. In the middle of our sin, he is Jehovah Makadish, the Lord who sanctifies. And so what you and I are being called to today is to, to stop looking at what our, our situation claims to be and instead shift our focus to who God and his word says that he is. The facts may reveal that this is your worst day ever. Your fears may confirm that your best days are behind you, but faith says that for you and for me, those of us that place our trust, our hope, our faith in God, that our best days are still ahead and his best for us is still yet to come. And when we choose faith over fear and facts, what happens is, is that, that the God who stood in the flames with the Hebrew boys and the God who closed the, closed the mouths of, of lions in the lion's den for Daniel and the God who caused a rock to, to fly out of David's slingshot and, and fall a giant, the God that, that calmed the storm and turned water into wine and healed the sick and, and, and opened the eyes of the blind and raised the dead to life, that God draws close to you and to me. And in the middle of our brokenness, he whispers in our ear, it doesn't matter what fear says. It doesn't matter what the facts are. It only matters what I say. And I'm telling you, look at my track record. Now choose faith. 
Don't worry about fears. Don't worry about facts. Just choose faith. In the midst of your worst day ever, just choose faith. I'm talking to somebody in this room this morning that you've listened to they and you've worried about everybody and what they think and what they have to say for far too long and today that ends. God's saying you need to stop listening today, you need to stop entertaining everybody and you need to step out in faith and start believing on the foundation of my word and who it says that I am for you. And if that's you, and you've been deceived and you've been led astray by they and everybody and by the enemy's roars, today's your day. Shift your perspective. See the shark in the picture. Look for the God of who his word says he is in the midst of your situation and step out in faith and believe on him in the midst of your mess. If that's you, and the Holy Spirit's tugging at your heart this morning, if, if, if that's you, as the band continues to lead us in worship in just a minute, and you say, Pastor Blake, today is my day. I'm, 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 I'm pushing aside the whispers of they and what everybody thinks and the roars of the enemy. And today, I wanna take a step of faith and I wanna put my trust 100% in Jesus Christ. If that's you, then I wanna invite you to, to come forward as the band leads us in worship. And, I'd just like to pray with you this morning and I'd like to agree with you that you would be able to step out in faith. And I'd like to believe along with you that your best days are yet to come. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you were inspired by the message. For more information, visit www.thechristwalk.com.